Yeah, good morning. Uh, my name's Tim. I want to extend that really warm welcome to you if you call this place home or if you're visiting with us. It's, uh, it's really, it really is a privilege to be able to gather this morning as, uh, as the Lord's people here in Gosnells. Um, I'm going to be reading out the Bible passage for us. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 3. And we're continuing our series in Ephesians, the death of division. And that's where we're up to, chapter 3. We're going to read the first 13 verses. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit." This mystery is the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that this morning as we ponder your word, as we read over it, as we think about it, as we grasp what it's saying, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that you may give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of your Son, Jesus, and of who you are. May you fill us with hope, fill us with joy, fill us with faith, and fill us with love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This week... Mark McGowan, affectionately known as WA's State Daddy, retired as our State Premier. And with all all significant retirements, the question of a person's legacy immediately start uh, start being asked. And I reckon Mark McGowan, above all of the other Premiers we have, has actually a pretty good crack of being fairly memorable uh, in the future. He's probably the first of our Premiers to gain an international uh, reputation. His abnormally strong borders were internationally remarkable. But it's actually, aside from that, locally, I think he'll be remembered for some fairly trivial things, actually. Uh, The guessing game that everyone played on the nightly news as we're waiting for him. How late is he going to be for this COVID press conference? Or when he lost control laughing about a man running in in New South Wales while he was eating a kebab. 
And there's at least two people in Perth with Mark McGowan tattoos uh, that I'm sure will be, uh, help him to be remembered at least by those people for the rest of their lives. And I'm sure that those tattoos are looking really great right next to the no regrets tattoo that they have right beside it. But, but even as one of the more memorable premiers, he too will be forgotten. Just think, 20 years from now, not one person in our high schools will have a clue who he is. And and that's the fairly normal run of things, isn't it? I couldn't tell you the name of my great-grandparents. It's not because I don't want to, I just don't know it. Which means we're actually all about three generations from being forgotten. The Apostle Paul features as one of the main characters of the passage of Scripture that we're looking at this morning. Here's a man who died thousands of years ago. And here we are in the 21st century, having just read his letter to a church in Ephesus. And we're going to spend most of our time this morning pondering his words. So here's the question. We'll largely forget most of our state premiers. We'll largely forget most of our great-grandparents. But why on earth are we still reading Paul? After all, how can what was written thousands of years ago be relevant to my life now? Aren't his ideas out of touch, outdated? Surely as Christianity loses public popularity in our culture, a better strategy for the church, actually, would be to ditch the old and to embrace a more progressive 21st century way of thinking. Surely that would be the strategy that we should adopt as a church, as an as a institution in the 21st century. So the question is, why read Paul? And I want to whet your appetite up front and tell you, in the words of Paul himself, in the final verse, he says this, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Your glory. That's a hint as to why we might read Paul. And I hope that's whet your appetite. We're going to get into it. So we're looking at chapter 3, verse 1 to 13. Our passage starts with, For this Reason. In chapter 2, God in Christ Jesus has put division to death. Where people were dead in their sins, hostile to God, children of wrath, God in his great mercy is making people alive. The division that exists between God and humanity is a division that God is putting to death. And where people lived in division with each other, Jew and Gentile specifically, with a dividing wall of hostility between them, God has broken it down, making one new people, one new temple, one new dwelling place of God. The division between people defeated. And for this reason, Paul describes himself as a prisoner of Christ on behalf of the Gentiles. Here is Paul's special calling, his special role. Paul has been appointed an apostle to the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? The Gentiles are the nations. 
non-Jewish people, every nation and tribe that exists in the far corners of the globe. And verse 2 tells us that this is the stewardship given to him by God for them. Verse 3, Paul is the one who God has revealed the mystery to, and he's revealed it to him through revelation. And so, verse 4, as we read Paul, we can perceive his insight into the mystery of Christ. A mystery, in verse 5, not made known to the, in the past to previous generations, but has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Paul being one of those apostles. And what is this mystery? It tells us there in verse 6. It is that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs. Members of the same body. Partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The borders are now open. All people from every tribe, every nation, every language, every corner of the globe is given the green light. All can come and humbly receive the promise of God in Christ Jesus. Every person can receive every spiritual blessing. Those who come and hear and believe the gospel. And so what are we seeing here? We're seeing that God has revealed this mystery to Paul, not only to Paul, but also to the other apostles and prophets. And so when we come to our question, why read Paul? Let's take that question a little further. Why make his writings the foundation of our life? Why teach Paul's, Paul's letters to our children as we will be doing this morning in our GBC Kids? Why tell Paul's gospel to those who haven't heard about it yet? This is God's revelation. Later on in verse 9, we're told that this mystery was hidden for ages in God, but is now revealed. Most people stare blankly out into space with a something of a gut feeling that maybe, just maybe, there's a power or a force that exists behind it all. Maybe there's something or someone who orchestrates things behind the curtains. But not those who read Paul. God has made the mist of his purposes and plans for the world known. We can know God. And not just someone's opinion about God, but through Paul and through the other New Testament authors, for that matter, God has made himself known. What a privilege that we have in our hands the words all. Words that were given to him by God that we can read and know and know God through them. That tells us also something about how we ought to read Paul's writing. 
And it's the same with the other New Testament authors too. We don't stand over the Bible as those who determine the good bits and the irrelevant bits. Perhaps the bits that are unpopular at the moment and those bits over there that are a little bit uncomfortable, we don't get to stand over them and determine which bits we want to hold on to, which bits we want to allow to have authority in our lives. No, no, the Scriptures are God's revelation. We humbly submit ourselves to what He has revealed. And if you're not doing that, well, you'll find yourself just submitting to some version of God that seems to agree with everything you're saying. And actually, that's no God at all. So we don't pick and choose, and nor do we move on to more progressive ways of thinking. <clears throat> and in fact, the moment that we do move on from what Paul teaches, the very second that we ditch the Bible, that's the point that we immediately become irrelevant. Our world is full of people with progressive ideas. Full of people with innovative ways and ideas of how to live a good life. But there is only one. There is one group of people on earth who have God's word. The moment we ditch that, the moment we push aside Paul's writings and his letters and the New Testament, we have nothing to offer the world. But on the flip side, if we embrace Paul's words, if we embrace the New Testament, if we embrace the Scriptures, we have a precious gift for the world. God has made himself known. And so, we read Paul. We study Paul. We let his words actually rule over us. Because they're God's words. But there's actually more to say in response to this question, why, why read Paul? And the reason is this. Something cosmic happens when God's revelation through Paul is read and understood and preached. And it's why we see the particular verbs used in Paul's activity. I'm going to delve into an English teacher's realm here as well. We're looking at some verbs, just two. Second half of verse 8, what's the verb we see of Paul? Paul preaches. And we're just going to go on a little sidewalk here. Just as a side, while we're here in verse 8, we're going to come back to verbs, I promise. Just notice what we can learn about what it means to be a Christian from Paul's example. Here is arguably, arguably the most prominent figure in the history of the church, aside from Jesus. And how does he describe himself? Did you notice that there in verse 8? The very least of all the saints. Not, I think I would have expected him to say the very least of all the apostles maybe the very least of all the leaders in the church. But he actually says, I am the least of all the Christians. I can remember... 
I can remember doing some work at uh, Armadale Library uh, during winter last year, and I struck up a conversation with an elderly man traveling around in his gopher. I guess he must have been ha- uh, homeless. Uh, he had a, a, a strong smell that wasn't particularly pleasant, uh, and he had a lot of, lot of luggage on, that he was carrying around on his gopher. And he told me that he'd been going to a church, actually. He'd been going to a church in the local area and was becoming interested in what he was learning about Jesus in the Gospels. And I tried to encourage him and also kept asking him questions to get to know him a bit more. And eventually found out that he had, just a few years ago, he'd just gotten out of prison. He'd just spent 10 years in prison for murdering his wife. That is a detestable, abhorrent thing to do, wicked and vile. But does that exclude him from coming to hear and believe the gospel? You might think that's a bit extreme, but the Apostle Paul was responsible for the murder and persecution of Christians before he met Jesus. You are going to have a thin experience of Christianity if your version of Christianity doesn't have room for the worst kind of people. And if you, if you think for some reason that you're more deserving of a position in heaven because you're not like that kind of person, you just haven't understood it yet. You haven't grasped it. You haven't realized that you were just as dead in your sins as Paul. And you haven't grasped yet the depth of God's grace and mercy to this world. Back to verbs. Verse 8 and verse 9, we're looking at the verbs that describe Paul's activity. The second half of verse 8, Paul preaches. Start of verse 9, he's a person who's bringing things to light. It's the language of illuminating for people. Paul, as an apostle, wants people to know, to understand, to grasp with their minds the mystery that God has revealed to him. And he does it because it has this cosmic impact why does paul preach and teach and explain the mystery tells us right there in verse 10 so that through the church the manifold wisdom of god might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places the cosmic spiritual forces are are on view here when he talks about rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It's the spiritual forces that have featured in Paul's letter so far. Just a quick overview. Back in chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, Christ is raised from the dead and he's seated at the right hand in the heavenly places in a triumphant position over the cosmic hostile forces. In chapter 2, verse 2, the prince of the power of the air, referring to Satan, is at work deceiving the world as he always has been tricking them into thinking that a life in opposition to God is somehow more gratifying than one living in harmony with him. And then here in our passage, it's both the hostile and the allied cosmic spiritual forces that are in view. 
both the countless angels that exist in the presence of God, praising and worshipping him, and on the other hand, the countless demons together with Satan who persist in their hostility and hatred of God. All of the spiritual forces. And what is it that God puts on display before them? To show off his manifold wisdom, his multifaceted, boundless wisdom. What is it that he puts in front of them and says, Here, I've won. What is it that he puts in front of them? Two, three, seven, eight, Albany Highway, 10 a.m. every Sunday morning. He says, Look, look at this, Satan. I've won. The gathering of God's people from around the nations gathered around the word of God, people united, embracing the differences that exist between them, that displays the wisdom of God. And Satan and the demons are embarrassed. God has outsmarted, outmaneuvered them at every turn. The gathering of all the Lord's people, the union of Ugandans, Nigerians, Indigenous Australians, Papua New Guineans, Indians, Eastern State folks even, West Australians, New Zealanders, Chinese, Russian, Ukrainian, Arabs, Canadians... Every nation gathered together. That displays the wisdom of God to the world and to the cosmic forces. You see, the hostile cosmic forces of this universe, they wish to divide. They want to divide us from God. They want to keep him far away. The hostile cosmic forces want to put divisions between us. But God has embarrassingly outmaneuvered, outsmarted them. They are made to look foolish in the light of God's marvelous wisdom displayed in the church. And as Paul teaches, as he explains, as he preaches the gospel, the mystery now made known, as he continues to do that, as we continue to do that as God's people, to gather week after week around the word of God, we witness it doing the work of building and sustaining and nurturing the church. And it displays the manifold wisdom of God to the cosmos. So if that is true, why on earth would you skip church? I'm sure there are reasons. I get it. There are times where you, know, you can't make it on a Sunday for whatever reason. But because you don't feel like it, because you're a bit tired, because it feels a little awkward... Look at what God is doing. He's displaying his glory and wisdom and power and supremacy to the universe. Coming to church, we share in the victory and glory of God by showing up. And really showing up, embracing, welcoming, loving our brothers and sisters especially those who are different from us.
So why read Paul? Why read his letters? Why read the New Testament or the Scriptures at all? Well, we've seen that it's God has made himself known. But we've also seen that as we do that, as his people, he's going to grow and build his church. Nurture it, sustain it, make it wrong, grow it in number. That's what happens when we stick with Paul's letters. That's why we read him. So let's wrap this up. We'll look at Paul's final verse there in verse 13. He says this, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. What's he saying? He's saying, look at the grace God has given me. Look at the role I have been given by God to bring to light for everyone the mystery hidden for ages in God, to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. God has made me to play a part in the cosmic display of God's wisdom, to play a part in the eternal purpose that was achieved in Christ Jesus. It's like he's saying to them, yeah, I'm in prison. I'm being persecuted and mistreated. But don't let that discourage you. Don't think for a second that the suffering that I'm enduring compares even a little to what God is achieving through it. Seeing the glory of what God is doing through his word, through the gospel, puts our suffering and the persecution we may experience into perspective. He's telling them, my suffering means your glory. He's saying, if I suffer for preaching the gospel, it means you get glory. If I suffer, it means the church is built. If I suffer, it means Satan has to stare at the superior wisdom of God in the church. If I suffer, it means you, church, get to behold the unsearchable riches of Christ. Do not be discouraged by my suffering, he says. It is your glory. I want to finish with a story. I met a young guy recently, uh, and he went to a high school in uh, he went to high school in a, a school that's in our region somewhere here in the southeast. I won't say where. And he was committed to running these Bible studies for students at the school, um, so that. They could hear and believe the gospel, be built up in the Lord as he does that. It's you know, quite funny. The, uh, the high schoolers needed to stay on this side of the oval and the, you know, the, the senior high school, uh, the junior high schoolers needed to stay on this side of the oval. So they met right in the middle of the oval on the cricket pitch and uh, they did their thing there. Um, and it turned out that they actually met a little bit of opposition for what they were doing. Uh, so this, this young guy was, was given some instructions from the teacher. Hey, you're not allowed to do that. Uh, because it risks other people hearing about the Bible, and uh, that would be a horrible thing. Um, and so that happened, and then so they said, all right, can we, can we use a classroom? And so, yeah, they found a teacher who was a Christian also, and uh, <coughs> really thankfully, 
uh, he said, hey, I can't be in the room with you because I can't be seen to be endorsing the Bible, you know, the gospel. And so I'll sit in my office in the room just next door, but I'll, I'll open up the door, make sure you're able to use it. And, uh, and then they were away. <clears throat> so it turn, turns out that that Christian teacher ended up leaving. Um, and so this was some months later, I think. Um, and there, there was a conversation that happened with this, this young guy and some other students and another teacher there. And uh, <clears throat> he, he was thinking, oh, this, this teacher was great. He was my favorite teacher. He wasn't just a Christian, but he was also a good teacher. And, um, and he was asking all the other, other people around the circle. And for some reason, no one else, no one else liked this teacher. Um, and he, he couldn't figure out why. And so he, turned, uh, he started asking questions. He was curious about what was going on. And it turns out that they said, well, he was a bigot and a homophobe. So we... Of course, we didn't like him. And then the, the, even the teacher who was there said to the, said to the young guy, he said, well, that's, that's probably why you liked him so much. He didn't say it in as many words, but he was insinuating that this, this young, young boy was a homophobe and a bigot too. Now, the question is, does that discourage you? Does it discourage you that he was faced with opposition and, you know, it was light and mild persecution, but persecution nonetheless for his faith. Let's, um, let's replay the story and let's say that the teacher who was opening the door for him said to him, hey, hey, look, mate, I've, I know the school. I've been around this place for many years. I'll understand what happens. Don't, don't worry about the Bible studies. It's going gonna, it's gonna to mean discomfort. Uh, your teachers might stop liking you. Other students in the school might, uh, might feel like uh, you know, they, they want to distance themselves from you. you know, avoid, the, avoid, avoid the discomfort of, of leading these Bible studies. Oh, this student would have, uh, would have gone through a lot easier through his experience of high school if he had done that. But let's just, let's just imagine that one student in those Bible studies was built up and strengthened in their faith because of their time in the Word together. Or imagine even if one student became a Christian because of the Bible studies he was running. That would mean their glory for eternity. It would mean their glory because of Jesus. We can have boldness and courage because of Jesus. We can have boldness and courage to hold out the gospel, even if it means suffering. It could mean other people get to experience glory. I'm going to finish by praying and then we're going to sing some songs. But I want to pray and ask God that he would fill us with a vision of what he's doing in this world. That we would grasp the glory of what he's doing. Making himself known. Building up the church. So I ask you if you would 
join me in praying. Our Father, it is such a privilege to know you. We thank you for making yourself known to us. We thank you for giving us your word, for using Paul, using the other apostles, giving us the New Testament, the Old Testament, your word, your revelation. Thank you that we can know the mystery of Christ. And Father, thank you that you are building your church and that through your church you are displaying your manifold wisdom to the cosmic forces of this universe. And Father, we just bask in the privilege of what it is to be part of your people. But Father, this morning we ask that you would fill us with boldness and courage. We're aware that there's a sense in which Christianity is becoming less popular in our culture. Yet, Father, that's no reason to be discouraged. You are building your church. You are making yourself known to people. And, Father, we get to play a part in that. So, Father, we ask these things in your Son's name. Amen.